welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the darkness of direct video Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Ted's Bogus Journey, Bill S. Preston Esquire, played by Alex Winter, and Ted Theodore Logan, played by Keanu Reeves, may have passed their history exam, but that doesn't mean the future is guaranteed. An evil genius from the future named Denomalos is determined to change the course of history in his favor, and the best way to do that is to kill Bill and Ted. He sends evil robot doppelgangers back in time to dispose of the budding rockers and take their place before a pivotal Battle of the Band speech. The only way Bill and Ted can change the fate of the world this time will be to find a way to come back from the dead. Screenplay by Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon, directed by Peter Hewitt, and released on July 19th, 1991. You've seen Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey before, I'm sure. Yes, because we watched it We previous. watched it together a couple of years ago in preparation of the third movie, Face the Music. And Yeah, I've watched it a lot when I was younger. I saw it when it came out in the theaters. We went to the drive-in oh, as cool. part of a double feature. I don't remember what the other movie was. I was looking through our list, mm. and nothing was ringing a bell as to what was released around that same time that we might have seen with it. So I don't remember what the second movie was, but it, we definitely saw it in the drive-in. And uh, I liked it then, and I like it now. Did your parents like it? <laughs> Um, okay. My mom will always claim that she doesn't like these stupid comedy type of things. Uh Uh-huh. My dad will laugh, you know, along with us, but then also sort of, you know, agree with my mom, (laughs) you know? So, yes and no. Okay. Uh, I'd say, I mean, they knew that we liked it. You know, and I, they probably enjoyed the first one enough as like a stupid, mindless comedy that they're willing to take a chance on this one, especially since the kids wanted to see it too. Yeah. So. It's it's not as good as the first one, but it's not bad. This is a worthy sequel. Yeah, it's mind. not horrible. <laughs> it's ringing endorsement. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, there are worse sequels out there. Oh yeah, I'm sure we've covered some of them, and we will cover more. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, House Party Two is not a worthy sequel. But... No, that should have just ended at the first one. And I think what this one does right is that it tries to. It doesn't try to cover a lot of the same ground. This is not going around and gathering up historical figures to help them with a task for the future. Right. Like, just... I mean, yes and no. There are historical figures. But they're not using them to help with whatever they need. Yeah, Bill and Ted are just, like, 
seeing them in passing or we see them at the beginning sequence where Rufus is teaching the class. Yeah. But yeah, the whole purpose is not to go around and time travel. In fact, the time traveling that's done is not by Bill and Ted at all until the last scene. Yeah. Which is also very interesting to me. Okay. <laughs> you know, that, that's how different this movie can be. They're not trying to rehash a lot of the same stuff. Obviously, they're going to have some callback humor. They're going to have some callback situations. But it's not a rehashed plot. Right. Which is, that's good. Yes. And then I like how it's in the year 2691. I You know how certain movies from... I don't even know, like in the 80s or whatever, when oh, they yeah. when they talk about the future and it's like 1999 or something. Yeah. Like, At least it's like far enough in the future that it's not like we didn't pass it already. Right. Like I think Rolling Thunder, I think that was 2020. Yeah. Something like that. And then Terror Within 2, I think, was already passed. Yeah. You know, things like that. So yeah, this is 2691. Obviously the tech that they have to show is going to be much less sophisticated than what you would see seven decades into the future. But, um, you know, you still have like CRT type of screens instead of holograms or whatever Yeah, we watched the, the special features after that and it's like the director and the cinematographer and then there's like the guy that did all the special effects and he's like these are the best special effects <laughs> you'll ever see and we're like uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think like how serious was he trying to be with that type of a statement where he's like these are going to be really good special effects that are going to blow you away when anything that's not practical anything that's digitally done through green screen or whatever is really bad it's <laughs> it's very very cheesy and i thought that that was the point right i thought that that's yeah. what they were going for like you know let's say when bill and ted are going into but the it ears seemed of like the that guy officers. was very serious about it it did it did i mean i liked the effect of the phone booth you know even back in 89 the phone booth traveling through the, the wormhole tunnels that's yeah. cool looking you know, the, the little flame square when it lands and everything. Um, but yeah, stuff like when station they're... coming together and forming a blob, that's kind of cheesy. When they're, you know, going, especially when they're like going in and out of the ears of the police officers. Right. That, that, that remind... looks really bad. Well, certain parts reminded me of um, like how cartoony... It was kind of like Freddy's Dead... Yeah. Just certain... Well, that part, I guess. With them trying to possess, you know, their, the dad. And but then... the cartooniness works in this movie's favor. Yeah, I mean, this is good to do the cartooniness. Like, yes. with the Freddy's Dead, that was just like... I don't know. <laughs> For a movie that's supposed to be scary, you don't to be want scary. to laugh yeah. at the visual effects. It's supposed that movie is supposed to scare you, and it's like you're using cartoony type graphics and stuff. This is not really meant to scare you, even though they go to hell and stuff, and it's quote scary maybe. It was a little creepy to a ten year old me. Yeah, a little. To, uh, I used to be kind of like freaked out by station. Sure. Yeah. I mean, definitely, I can understand that. I think um, the Easter Bunny f 
like the scary face of the Easter Bunny. Yeah, you know, that like uh, not not his normal thing, but when he gets into like you know when he's got like fangs and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Starts... The, the fang, the fang face of the Easter Bunny was was freaky as a kid. Also, at the very beginning, when the robot uses are, you know, peeling oh, back peel their, their head heads. and revealing the skull. That's a little creepy to, you know, a younger kid, too. Um, so it does have, like, a slightly darker tone. Yeah. But overall, it is extremely cartoony, so it's tough to... It, it Or it's easier to take that stuff in, in stride. And you do have death, but he's obviously, you know... No, you make fun of him, and he's not... He's... He's a big goofball who's just looking for approval. Yes. He's begging for attention. He's yeah, because he's a, a lonely guy that has to kill people. <laughs> yeah, completely misunderstood, and now he's like, "Oh, maybe I have some friends now," and you know, yeah, needs that validation, which is an interesting twist on the character. I think, uh, really well played by William Sadler. He even had a uh, Saturn win for best supporting actor for this movie. The, sound, oh. the special effects were nominated for a Saturn Award, by the way. I'm wow. sure it lost to Terminator 2. Well, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I'm comparing all of these special effects to Terminator 2, and I'm like, Terminator 2 is like eons better. Yeah, I mean, that's where a lot of the budget to T2 went. You know, that's... I the mean, special I, effects. Yeah, I mean, that that was crucial to the movie, and that was a huge turning point in cinema, I think. It's like that, and then a couple of years later, Jurassic Park, before T2, we'll get into that more when we talk about that movie, you had more stuff like this. Yeah, I you mean... you saw in, like, Willow, <laughs> where, you know, the effects are super cheesy, right. but, like, kind of cool because they're cheesy. Right, you know, yeah, like, eight all 80s horror movies, like, all of their special effects with just dealing with the makeup and stuff, I feel like that's even better Oh, yeah, practical done. was always better back then, and, I mean, you can definitely make an argument that it's still better now in a lot of cases, too. So, you know, having the, going back to the robot us, is having them pull apart their stomachs, their stomachs to reveal their innards, that's much more effective because it is a real prop right yeah (laughs) instead of getting like a cg type person slash robot to do that exactly in front of their eyes but now that would probably be a cg effect yeah if i don't even they didn't really have anything like that in the third movie did they i can't really remember no robotic things like that they they had like that um the they had that robot, robot but yeah, I don't think but he ever, wasn't like a human. He didn't get like skinned. Dis- disassembled or anything. Yeah, I don't think. So yeah, they didn't have that type of thing going on. I do remember that the special effects were, quote unquote, better in the third one for like the the right. time travel, mm-hmm. which was kind of disappointing to me. Yeah, I, I, I wish kind, you kind of want the, the cheesiness. Look. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you know, having a phone booth as a time travel device is an interesting choice as well considering how they've quickly become antiquated and you're talking about something that's happening seven decades you know seven centuries in yeah the future. did they still use i, I can't remember <laughs> i think there was an article about how the last phone booth in new york city was finally removed just this year yeah so, so they can't well i'm just saying like for the third movie did they they had to have used the phone booth yeah they used the phone booth still even though that was like 2020 Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't remember if they commented on it or not. The third one's not bad. 
No. But it's not, you know, it, it's the worst of the three, but, you know, it's not... It's fine. It was still good. It was still yeah. enjoyable and funny, and I think that, you know, they handled the story relatively well. Um, but we're not talking about the third one. We're talking yeah. about the second one. This one, you know, again, I think the original director, Stephen Herrick, uh, did not come back for this one because he thought that this movie was a parody of a movie that was already a parody. And I think he's right, but I think that's what makes it fun. Hmm. You know, like, I think this whole movie refuses to take itself seriously. And they go to this extra length and say, okay, well, we already did the time travel bit. What other kind of over-the-top situation can we put these people in? Oh, yeah, they're going to be dead and they're going to walk through hell. They're going to walk into heaven and, and, you know, come back from... You know, basically, yeah, come like, back to life within 24 hours. Yeah, be like, I don't know, like resurrected yeah. in, in such a... Because they have the, this fate of the universe that, that depends on them. Um, and I think that's just, you know, a really good way to go about it. Again, like not rehashing the, the stuff that happened in the first one. Again, there's some callbacks, like when they're in the Battle of the Bands and they talk things into existence. Mm-hmm. Like they do in the first one where, you know, okay, well, we got to remember to come back in time and, you know, get the key and so we can unlock yourself from prison and everything. And, you know, it, it's that kind of, they don't care about time travel rules. They don't care about explaining the science to you. Just sit back and enjoy your popcorn. And that's what should happen in these types of things. You know, there's some things that aren't explained, like how Denomalos can talk to the robot us's across time periods. You know, he's stuck in 2691. Right. The robot us is... Using... Using Ted's eye. Ted's eyeball. Which, again, is, you know, a slightly creepy thing, you know? Well, when he popped his eye out. Sure. Or take their heads off and... Yeah. They're talking from inside a trash can or something like that. I mean, that whole scene has been <laughs> cracking up. I don't know. Because you can just obviously see, like, when the, they have, like, a a dummy or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when they're holding the heads. Or even when you have the real Bill and Ted with the robot Bill and Ted's. You have these... I don't want these doubles. I don't want to say stunt doubles because they're just like walking behind them. And <laughs> right. I mean, you can obviously tell. Yeah, and there's a lot of split screen type of work that's being done. And yeah. so yeah, if you have Ted on the left side of the screen and Bill on the right hand side of the screen, and you also have the doubles, then they're going to be swapped. So mm-hmm. it's Bill and Ted on the left, and Bill and Ted on the right. You're not going to have two Bills on the same side to make things easier to shoot and split in half Mm -hmm. if you're shooting it that way so yeah again it sort of leads into the whole thing about cheesy effects but it's still it's still fun i think um obviously a lot of what adds to the humor and the enjoyment of these movies is just the characters of bill and ted themselves you know the the synchronicity of them how they basically share a hive mind yeah (laughs) and that they're not really stupid that's the weird thing like even in the first one i could argue that they're not incredibly stupid they may be bad at history they just but like they throw in like bigger vocabulary words here and there 
um, and, and you know, sort of going off of expectations. You know, the, it's they're saying dude have... and whoa a lot, right? But then they'll mix in a you know five syllable word here and there when appropriate, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know yeah. that kind of like level of ex- uh, you know unexpected vocabulary adds to the humor of the situation. They just uh, I think they're just obsessed with wanting to get their band on the run and be famous. Like that was, that's their goal. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> like, sort of, yeah, that's sort of. Their but they goal. were also kind of like lazy about it because they're like, oh, we actually have to practice. Right. Yeah. Oh, we don't know how to play still. Yeah. It's been like multiple years because they just you know they assume that things are gonna work out because they've been told it's gonna work out. Mm-hmm. Rufus is saying you are the future of this world, and so it's going to happen because here I am, I exist. And it's also, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy. Again, sort of like T2, which we can talk about later mm-hmm. when that comes into play. Um, clearly, this is the comedy version of The Terminator, in a sense. I mean, you even have that similar plot point where, okay, this is the second turning point in history. That's what Denomalos is saying. This is the second ter- major yeah, turning point Yeah, going back to try to change history by trying to kill... Edward Furlong or something. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah, it's to, like, okay, we failed the first time around. Now we're going to go to this other point of history and try it this time. Yeah, try to kill the child of... Yes. But, and then this one is just like, try to kill them before they even become famous. And then it's like, they, the turning point is when they become famous at that Battle of the Bands. Yeah, because when they, they win give some that. sort of a speech there, which I don't think they even have the speech at the end of this actual movie. They oh, do. the first one? No, this one. Oh, this one. I don't, I don't think, think they give a the speech end. so much. Almost at the they end. They play the song. Yeah, but they talk about it when they come yeah. back. But it's not like a big old speech. I don't know. It's like a couple... It's like, yeah, be good to each other. Now we're going to rock. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> it's nothing monumental. Because um, <laughs> they're being televised around the world, and the whole world knows who they are now. Yes. Yeah, again, self self-fulfilling prophecy. Denomalos is there because they've come back from the dead. They've defeated the robot usses, the, the evil robot usses, thanks to the good robot usses they built. We're jumping all around in this whole thing. We need a phone booth to get ourselves back on track. But, um, yeah, so, like, Denominos made the whole thing that he was trying to prevent happen by being there. And, again, that kind of leads into the whole T2 thing, which we can talk about. But going back to what I was trying to say about Bill and Ted's characters as well, I don't think that they're necessarily stupid. I think that they're just... They're like human puppies, right? They're overly optimistic. They are very trusting. I think the only stupidity that you could argue in them potentially is their naivete yeah that they're so trusting of everything right they you know expect and assume the good in everyone that they get taken advantage of and they get put in these situations yeah they yeah they just believe in the good of everyone they don't think there's such thing as evil i guess (laughs) yeah even when they deal with death or even when they talk to Satan. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're, they're down in hell. They're on the rock of, of Satan, uh, you know, that they're supposed to be, I guess, breaking as part of their eternal punishment or something. And 
and they just talk to Satan and like, hey, devil dude. Yeah, How's they're not going? they're not even afraid of him. They're like, oh, you're pretty cool. It's like, hey, this isn't what the hell is supposed to be like, <laughs> but whatever. Like, they're just happy go lucky about wherever the hell they are right. in, in hell. Just take it in stride and you know. Yeah, let's they're move not on. like they don't have anxiety about anything. No, it's just nearly memory of a goldfish, and you know, let's here's a new hurdle to overcome. Okay, let's just do it. <laughs> yeah, and you gotta admire that type of a, a a thing, and I guess that's maybe one of the reasons they're called upon to be the saviors of the world in a sense. I yeah, because of their I don't want to like their pureness. I guess. <laughs> yeah, kind of, kind of pureness. This movie, we've, we've already talked about the bad special effects. I think there's also certain scenes where there's really not so great production values as well. Especially a lot of the future stuff. And I would say in oh. the heaven stuff too. It felt like suburban commando to me, especially in the beginning. Because you have like Denomalos and these future outfits, you know, the big black whatevers. And then the rest of the people... All of the uh, yeah, students or whatever, the they're in basically like over-the-top foam, neon foam clothing with huge boots and looks like, yeah, nerf, like moon, nerf outfits. Yeah, like moon boots. And so, yeah, it kind of comes across as... And it sounds as if they're speaking like Simlish or something. Hmm. Yeah, they don't really get into, you know, what language could be. Rufus is speaking in... English, but it sounded English, as if but... they were speaking the the people in the school. It oh, sounded yeah. as if they were speaking in like a sim language. It could be, yeah. I don't know. I think it's interesting that they don't show anyone other than Earthlings in there. I guess it sort of makes sense, but the fact that Station is in this movie. Well, Station, yeah. So Station is in heaven because right. they say they wanted. The smartest person in the universe. That includes heaven, I guess. Yeah, I mean, well, the, yeah, the smartest person who's available to them in the universe, which I guess anyone who's in heaven is available to them, um, and, and that'd be Station, who's who's in heaven. But you know, I guess it's sort of like a double-edged sword, where I understand why they don't want to show any other types of beings aside from humans, because you don't want to. Re- ruin the reveal of Station, who is supposedly a Martian. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know that Station exists. (laughs) And so, like, at some point, you know, if if Station is in heaven... Well, because people keep on saying Station even before we even see Station. Yes. Yeah, Station is, like, the new synonym for cool. And we think that, oh, that's just future slang that's evolved and we're not in on the joke. The evil robots say station. Mm-hmm. Which should be your first clue that they're going to fail. Yeah, you, you're you you're sort of left out of this in-joke, and then you're about halfway through the movie, you learn that station is a person, and what his role, or their role, is in this whole thing, and that sort of became... That's how it entered the lexicon, is because of the events of what happened halfway through i'm so like how come station the term didn't become a thing 
in the, did people say station after this movie? <laughs> uh, maybe to a degree. I, I never did because I. <laughs> I mean, this movie wasn't super super popular. Like it's well known, but it wasn't like a massive hit. I don't know. Like I enjoyed it a lot. I you know, but it it's number thirty four in the box office. It's not not a huge huge hit but it did make some money that was the other thing that was this i'm just keep on thinking about the behind the scenes stuff when keanu reeves and alex winter are being interviewed they're like can you explain the uh terms that you use in the movie yeah and some then, sort of press packet thing i guess and one of them was like can you explain most excellent <laughs> And I was like, why? I mean, yeah. do you not? I, why not just say, can you explain station or like gnarly or I don't know. Like why most excellent was the first question. I don't remember uh, exactly. They don't <laughs> And they were like, like something that's there. really cool. It's just. They don't look happy to be there. They're just like, I know. okay, this is the stupidest thing. It's some voiceless. Uh, yeah, we don't narrator. see the person asking the question. And so it's someone, you know, it's basically just trying to... Or unless it's, like, them riffing off of them doing all these press junkets, and then whoever is asking this question is just, like, you know, making fun of the questions that they usually get asked... That could be. ...asked on these press junket things that people have to do for movies. Because yeah. they probably get asked the same questions over and over and over. Yeah, that's a And really then, good like, point. Alex Winter, it, I mean, he just starts making fun of Scientology even there. <laughs> yeah, that could be what they're trying to do is sort of take that to the extreme as well, you know, with... I think they were kind of having interviewers fun. Interviewers and yeah. like, so what does it mean when something's excellent? Oh, it means that it's good. Yeah. What if something's really good? Well, then it's most excellent. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, all... You know, That's what I was... That I was like, it, I think they're trying to be funny. It's like, what if something is heinous? Oh, that's bad. What if it's not heinous? Oh, then it's good. What, what if, if it's non non heinous? Yeah, that, that's bad. No, it's non non non. Then it's good. So it is. So, that's the type of like answers and questions that are given in this behind the scenes thing. I'm uh, like was... more fixated on the behind the scenes <laughs> stuff than the actual movie. Well, we already covered the premiere party in a different episode. Yeah, I was trying to remember like what. Was that, like, the week before this movie was coming out? Or, like, the day before? Because we have uh, the TV guide, and I was really... I was like, you couldn't was find it? it in the listings there? No, it wasn't the same day this no. movie was released. But did you check the other days to see what day that was? I don't remember... Um, it could have been, like, another... I don't what we were covering when we discovered that that existed. Me neither, but... So, it might have been, like, Earth Angel or something, so it might have been, like, a Wednesday night... So we got a little bit off track, I guess. Um, let's talk about how Rufus is not really in this movie much at all, too, which is also kind of strange. You know, again, like you're not using time travel and Rufus in this whole story. It's well, this whole new yeah. thing. And he's uh, as the bad robots are going back to present day. He, you know finagles this guitar to have it like stick to the top of that photo booth or phone booth uh -huh. and then he 
lassos like a wire or something around it and he goes down into the portal with them but then when the two evil robots come to earth he's not there and they just assume he's dead and i wonder if like are i guess we are assumed that he is just dead yeah or or gone or lost or lost yeah but then we find out later on in the movie that he was posed as Pam Greer's character. Right, who's, who's booking the battle of the band in the first place. And they even joke, like, would you really think that she, Pam Greer's character, Ms. Wardrow, would really pick your band for Battle of the Bands? Like, it's been me all along. Yeah. Rufus. Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a big reveal near the end. So it's Ms. Wardrobe. I, I, I thought it was Ms. Wardrobe, but it's right. Ms. Wardrobe. Uh I don't know how that works, and again, that's part of the science or whatever they don't explain, even within the context of the movie. They don't say like, Oh, did he did he know how to take a branching path and land a couple weeks earlier? Well, or, you know, I mean, how you see he... Pam Greer talking to Bill and Ted before this whole thing with the evil robots coming back to Earth. Right, so, exactly. yeah, he may have gone but if, back a couple weeks. Yeah, but if she's the one booking all of the bands, then how far back did she have to go? Is this Rufus just another version of Rufus? And so, like, he had tried and traveled back to that other point in time before this and then he you know like is it alternate timelines that are kind of like working in parallel you know that's the kind of stuff they they don't they don't, explain they don't bother much. explaining is like yeah no it works out because it works out yeah and that's okay um so yeah not a whole lot of rufus i mean i guess there isn't tons of rufus in the first one either now i'm thinking about it no he comes in the beginning and then at the end yeah he's just there to be a, a like bigger guide name bigger name person uh to lend credence to the comedy movie by having george carlin in your picture yeah and he wasn't much of an actor at that time he had he'd he'd done some stuff like car wash but he wasn't you know like before bill and ted's excellent adventure he wasn't in a whole lot of movies and stuff and then after that he got roles in things like thomas and friends and shining time station and dogma and whatever else so, but he was mostly known as a stand-up comedian. You know, he's won five Grammys for that. He's, you know, six Emmy nominations for his various specials and, and whatnot. So, you know, just having a very well-known comedian in your movie helps to bolster it. And he wasn't really needed as much here except for to tie things together. Because they don't bring all of the cast back. They bring the, the dads back. Bill and Ted's and, fathers yeah, are both Missy back. Missy is back and their girlfriends. Missy is back, although she has now married. divorced Bill's dad and married Ted's dad. Yeah, I like that <laughs> storyline. Yeah, and I like how they carry it over into the third movie, too, marrying Ted's brother. Yeah, but at the end credits where they're showing all the tabloids about Bill and Ted's... Um, rise to fame yeah all the ripple effects of this battle of the bands concert and whatnot right it shows that missy marries um 
Denomalos, yeah. Which is, I wonder, like, does that... Like, how does that work in the timeline In the spectrum? third movie. Right. I don't remember if they mentioned that at all. Yeah, I don't know. Or if they just kind of ignore that, or, or if that's something that happens in the future, and, like, she time travels to 2691 yeah, I mean, Yeah, that could have been after she's married to the brother in the third movie. Yeah, because I don't, I don't know, um, I'm sure they probably had dates on some of those articles. Yeah, they kind of just, like, flip around and you read it for 10 to 15 seconds until another one pops up. Yeah, you get the joke of the headline. I mean, that's... I like that instead of... I mean, I always want bloopers, but I like that... <laughs> yeah, if something's going to be over inplacive. the credits. Yeah. <laughs> Give me something to laugh at in the end credits. Yeah, it's a nice way to do an epilogue and show. Because yeah. I say, it's almost also a way to say there is not going to be a third movie. Or we have no plans for a third movie at this time. Here's what's happened after this. Event. Yeah, for the next 400 years. Yeah. <laughs> like, they they just end world peace, basically. No, they they start world peace. <laughs> they, oh, oh, they start it. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> They're not going to end world no, oh, peace. Yeah, no. <laughs> they end war, and yes, then they, they start world war. peace. Yeah, their, their, uh, their concert in the Middle East, you know, brings that region together. Yeah, ended and the war, and then one of the funny... shows the Grand Canyon, because the first one sold out, and all this kind of stuff, too. Like one, yeah, one of them that... Well, two of them that made me laugh was that there was a rumor they were going to break up, and then the Dow Jones, whatever, went <laughs> yeah, down... Plummeted. ...to 500% or something ridiculous, and then two seconds later it's like dow jones is at the all-time high because that was a rumor of the breakup of the wild stallions breakup is a hoax dow jones rebounds yeah yeah Yeah, it's it's fun to see all those cause and effects at the end there and um i think they do that pretty well with the third movie too um how they yeah talk about some of the historical stuff that's happened and obviously you know they they have some of this stuff with uh, death and how he's going off to be on a solo career because he joins the band at the end of this one too uh and the station is sort of involved a little bit too they talk about how bill and ted are going to be the first people to go to mars first rockers in mars i'm not sure first people but first rockers in mars and stuff like that and they have whatever um Oh, yeah, we were talking about Station, and we kind of got sidetracked a little bit. Station is from Mars, and so, yeah, like I was saying, they have the reveal of when Bill and Ted are in heaven that they're, you know, going to be meeting the most brilliant minds, and so they're surrounded by people like Albert Einstein and Benjamin Franklin and all these other random people, uh, and then they're all circled around somebody, and then they the crowd pulls away to reveal it's these two little puppet things that kind of look like Hoggle from Labyrinth. Mm. And, uh... With, like, their big butt cheeks. Yeah, they're kind of, like, like ball sack no, looking. Yeah, they look like two ball sacks. They kind and of look like ball sacks. I understand, like, okay, when they were making the good robots, why did they have to become one big station? And then they, like, at, when they finished that they became two separate things again. Uh, yeah, is it, it's things that they don't explain in the movie, but like it's I'm cool with them not explaining why. But they could you have know? just 
stayed as big station. I don't they could have, but yeah, there's some line from Bill saying, okay, you can rest they, and split into two again now if you want Or to. is big station just like the meeting of their minds? Like they, that it's like two halves of a brain becoming one brain to make these robots. Yeah, faster, more efficient or <laughs> something, no but idea. also like more exhausting. Who knows? But uh, I think, yeah, having that weird little quirk of alien behavior that we just are never going to be let in on is okay with me. I don't know. It's it's interesting. It's weird that they have aliens in this in the first place. But again, it is a little bit weird that they are the only aliens that appear in yeah, it's or in the well, future, they but don't whatever. Show them going to other planets and stuff. Well, besides Mars, like, but we don't see it. We don't see it. it. But it's also kind of weird the way everything is handled. So obviously, okay, Bill and Ted get killed. Mm-hmm. And I also really appreciate the way that they handled that visually. So after they are killed, they're presented in... Like a alternate costumes. Yeah, well, they're all grayed out. Yeah, they're all grayed out, but it's not it's not a camera filter. It's that they actually gave them different wardrobe with muted color tones, and so like the yellow mm-hmm. smiley face on the back of Ted's jacket is now like a very very muted yellow, and they're given like white face makeup. Yeah. To give them the ghostly appearance, and it's you know it's better than just doing it in camera. I think honestly. Uh, because it allows for pops of colors and other circumstances when you need it. And yeah, so like the green is now a black and, and gray scale. But they go to hell. And again, this is sort of like the cartoony part of it. Well, they're not in hell yet. Basically what happens is Missy sends them to hell inadvertently. Yeah, they run away from... They see death and death is like you We you have to... Um... Well, not even. He's like, come with me. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then Bill and Ted is like, how do we come back to life? And, and Death is like, well, you're going to have to challenge me on some games. Yeah, but challenge they, me to a game. And that's when they do, like, back. but then they trick him by saying your shoelaces are untied. And that they have to Melvin him, which is something, was Melvin a term for you growing up? Never. I never no. It was a wedgie. Yeah, wedgie. Super wedgie. I've never atomic used wedgie. the... Yeah. But I Melvin, never used the term Melvin. Maybe as like a West Coast a, only thing. Yeah. And it's... I don't... I have not heard Melvin... Since this movie. Yeah, probably <laughs> since this movie. Even in the context of, of wedgies or whatever. And so... Um, and then I they just walk off. That death... Yeah, they run and then I guess death doesn't know how to find them or whatever. And so they're going around to find different... Um, and that's when they... Well, pos- they, they get their own personal hell in the meantime. Right? That's when they... They're like, well, they, well, they we need to dad. find... Yeah, they find the his dad first. Okay, so the personal Ted's hell is, is all afterwards. Okay. Um, yeah, that's after... After Missy. That's after hell because that's where Satan sends them. Okay. So... Well, actually, yeah, Missy, Missy kind of... Opens that well, portal. yeah, Missy sends them to hell by their seance yeah. because they think they're evil demons. <laughs> but the, yeah, they first go to the police station and try to convince the dad that, hey, Bill and Ted are both dead, and they're trying. They're giving a talk to the police officers in the station about what to do, and so they they possess the dad by going into his ear, and then 
I mean, the the acting for this is uh, really great. Yeah. <laughs> so you have... Like, Hal Landon should get, like, um, some sort of recognition for... Oh, yeah. You got Hal Landon returning... And, Ted and Logan. Doing his best impression. Um, we're going to see Hal Landon again in Defending Your Life in 1991. So another movie that deals with the afterlife. He's also been in things like Eraserhead and The Artist. And uh, a lot of people who might be watching this... Uh, or listening to this may know him more as one of the meme faces for the L.A. Noir video game about how remember the L.A. Noir game yeah. that we talked about that we played uh, you know he's <laughs> talking about like how hyper realistic the L.A. Noir is and how you have to use like subtle facial clues to understand if you need a doubt or something and then they show his over exaggerated like Robert De Niro like even oh, lemon oh. type of a face as oh, an example okay. so that's that's him uh, so yeah, he's doing his best Ted Theodore Logan impression as an actor because Ted has embodied him. And then you have uh, the, the other person, I, I didn't write his name down, um, he was in Total Recall and a few other movies. He's going to be in several other 1991 things, so I didn't write him down. Um, Bill takes over his body and they're like, come on cop dudes, we gotta go rescue or you know, find Bill and Ted's killers. Things like and, that. Yeah, the cops are just sitting there befuddled. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> flabbergasted. Yeah, they're just like, what? Um, and then when they do air guitar, like the the, it's no longer an electric guitar. It's like a. It's like an acoustic, guitar. Yeah, sound. So just like little quirks and. That's funny. Yeah. But that doesn't work. Yeah, that doesn't work. So then they're like, and oh, they we have Missy. someone else in mind. And Missy has her and her new age friends. Yeah, and they're <laughs> like, doing like seances doing their all the seance. time. And they're like, have these seances ever worked? No, never, dude. And then, well, it's going to work tonight. And they, you know, they're in this big group of seances. And you actually see all kinds of different fun special effects, which are also very cheesy. But Missy then uses the book that sends evil spirits to, to, hell, to back, hell. Well, because they think they're evil spirits, and they're like, oh, let's, yeah, do but this it, chant. To... It, it's kind of interesting that it works on them, right? Because if that book is, if if those chants were meant for evil spirits, mm. that means that Bill and Ted are evil spirits. Mm. If you think about it. I think that's it's interesting. To, to send yeah. any spirit. I thought it was just to send any spirit the hell. cover said evil spirits oh okay so i'm just saying there's something there's something that we don't know about bill and ted well, even though when they these... before they do that seance they say all the the people that died recently that they want to contact so yes. why even have and it's all like i don't know it's all famous people yeah all famous people which that made me laugh because when i was in at camp when I was 15 we did a seance and I said Kurt Cobain <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't um, work what a surprise no it, I mean huh. it this okay I don't the side story the seance worked but we did not get a famous person you and it a random guy no we got someone's grandmother okay but we didn't ask for it but it just whatever that's it a, that's happen. that's a ghost story that I could tell people if they want to hear it i don't know <laughs> that's the episode, only that's right? the only ghost story i have <laughs> bonus episode uh at this seance we do have the writers 
making cameo appearances. You have Chris Matheson as the ugly seance member, and you have Ed Solomon as the stupid seance member. That's how they're credited in the. But it at the end of the it movie. makes me laugh because when they're watching the Battle of the Bands on TV, it's just Missy and all her seance people. Yeah. Like, that's her. She doesn't hang out with anyone else. Like not even, you know, Ted's dad. No. I mean, he might be busy with work. Who knows? So, yeah, they're at the seance, and they get sent back in the afterlife. And then you have this cartoony moment. It's It's been done a million times where they're just falling in this endless pit, and they're yelling and screaming, ah, and then they and stop. Like, oh, and then, yeah, and then and they, they start screaming again, and then they just talk about stuff. So, I mean, it, it's a thing that happens a bunch in cartoons or anything else, but it's still right. relatively effective here because it's... It just fits the tone. It's you know it may be expected, but it's it's good. Uh, and then yeah, they fall into actual hell. They experience their personal hell. So we we talked about a little bit with the Easter Bunny thing. Um, you know the the Colonel Oates who's going to take him away to military school and all this kind of stuff. And then you got Bill's grandmother wanting a kiss, and he's like this grotesque version of himself. Uh, Alex Winter plays the granny mm-hmm. and, and I like that sequence because it had the best set design the hell part the the personal hell part uh, so you know when they're on the rocks and whatever it's just a blue screen which is fine you know it's interesting to see rocks floating in midair with chains yeah leading to whatever that's that's interesting but it wasn't a great set but you have like expressionism and you have exaggerated set pieces when you're in these different childhood memories mm-hmm. th- that are haunting them. And it's really interesting to see, you know, that's, that's their version of hell is like these situations where, oh, I didn't kiss my grandma, you know, <laughs> that, that's like, a tortured a, memory of yeah, him. Or, oh, yeah. I stole my brother's Easter candy. Those mm-hmm. are their big, deep, dark secrets. Yeah. You know? Those are their biggest fears. Yeah. I mean, obviously going the way of the military school, Colonel Oates, you know, played by yeah, Chelsea Ross, another... who's, you know, from, like, Major League. Uh, another fear. Yeah, and that's, then a, they that, have... that's a legitimate thing, but it's not, like, something that haunts them, but it's, it's, like, a past memory. But, yes, that's the most legitimate one of them all. <laughs> but they're going through all this stuff, and then they're like, okay, we need to get out of here. I guess we need to challenge death. And so they summon him and play board games. Which is, like, my favorite part of the entire movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I always like that part, even though it's, like, five minutes long. I know. For some... I, I, I thought it was longer when I was younger. Well, because he keeps on changing the goalposts. You know, he, they beat him in Battleship, and he's, and Death is frustrated because this is, like, the first time he's lost, as far as we know. Right. And he's like, oh, best two out of three. And so then they play Clue, and he loses again. And they play, like, this electronic best, football thing. Yeah. and Five out of seven. And, best of seven. Yeah, and then he loses on Twister. And then, um, so he's now at their bidding and so they asked to go to heaven to get help yeah so it's basically they don't want to necessarily be brought back to life yet they need a plan to get back at the robot uses because they're just going to kill they Bill and yeah right because they're robots because <laughs> they're strong robots can, yeah and humans so, can't 
fight strong robots. So they're like, we need someone super strong or someone super smart to build nice robots. Yeah, so now we need to have But why good couldn't they bosses? find someone on Earth who was alive at the time to build these well, robots? Well, ask, ask God, because he's the one who sent them to Station. See, here's, yeah. So, Station, but Station was in heaven, right? Yeah, so Death, death brought them to heaven to help yeah, yeah. find someone who was smart and enough. And they got to dress like, the up, The smartest person in history. Funny. I don't know. Yeah, they have to mug people to get into heaven. It's <laughs> yeah. a weird little thing. I don't know why that is a... Why they even have to. Yeah, why that happens or whatever, but... Um, and the gatekeeper is like what's the meaning of life and they just give them lyrics to every rose has a thorn yeah and they're Um, like okay you can go in but that's when he gets they they go into this party to find a smart person yeah god talks to them i don't know if we ever hear god's voice i don't think we do no um but he gives them a map to find this person that will help them in in their quest and and it leads them to this party where station is doing charades and again it's sort of like a typical joke where all he's saying is station but everyone understands exactly what he means Mm -hmm. and you can communicate back to them and they understand but they're going to reply with station that's like Groot or whatever I don't know yeah that's what Groot is now same type of thing but that's that's fine and it works and so then um and then they are all allowed to return to Earth, including Death, and including Station. Station, who was also dead. Yeah. So, why that happens, I'm not exactly sure, but cool. You know, God allows it, I guess. Yeah. God, <laughs> God can do whatever he wants, yeah. right? So, that's what he does. Uh, and so, they're all there, and now they, they go to the where, hardware store to find all the supplies to build the good robot uses. They don't talk about how they pay or whatever. Right. Uh, you have the director making a quick cameo. He's the guy who's smoking inside the inside the store. Mm. And Death is like, oh, I'm going to see you soon. Mm. So that's the director, Peter Hewitt. And, um, and then, yeah, they rush to the Battle of the Bands while doing this stuff. <laughs> while, while Station forms into one and builds this robot. I mean, in all honesty, it could have been that they morphed into one just because it was easier to have one actor for a set amount of time for some of the filming. Two little things. Yeah, instead of instead of two little people in suits. For this, they couldn't even have shown them. They could have just shown hands building things. True. Because that's what a lot of it is. Yeah. But they didn't. I don't know. Uh, that was not part of the featurettes that we saw, so we don't know. Uh, and yeah, then, then the Battle of the Bands stuff happens, and, and again, Denomalos appears, and it's um, the good robot uses very quickly dispatch of the evil robot uses. It's just like a quick little punch. And yeah, it was like rock'em, sock'em robots, and that was it. It yeah. was like a one-minute thing. It's really interesting to me, just as a quick sidebar, how... You know, not only Bill and Ted are naive, but also everyone is because they're all taken yeah. aback by the evil uses. You know, the princesses who are played by different actors in this movie than what we saw in the first one, and then also played by different actors again in the third movie. Oh, I you, thought you it was never the had same. the same princesses uh. in any of the three movies. So, 
but you know they're all assuming that this is the real Bill and Ted even though they're just suddenly much more crude much more obnoxious much more self-centered and you know completely unlike them and it's just interesting how the subtleties in a personality can make such a huge difference in you know but yet not everybody picks up on those things so yeah this time uh the you got joanna played by sarah trigger she's going to be in a few more 1991 movies and then we have annette as i'm not sure how to pronounce that last name azq i'm sorry azcuy she plays elizabeth and she didn't have much of a career she did a bunch of small roles she was in like a sinatra tv miniseries the next year but not much else but yeah they're not the same people who were in the 1989 movie um so yeah the battle of the bands happens denomos appears he's ready to take matters into his own hands he zaps all the tv cameras which allows it to be broadcast across the entire world so every station is showing this battle of the bands mm-hmm. to show bill and ted's demise basically um and then they do the little verbal gymnastics to say oh well we gotta remember to go back in time and build uh the sandbag to drop the gun onto you know drop the gun out of his hand we have to get this cage to fall onto him and then Tom yeah. is like ah well i'm gonna go back in time and i'm gonna get a key and so he gets this key and i'm gonna get another gun and he gets another gun yeah and then it shoots you know the the flag again going back to cartoony stuff right saying wild stallions and bill and ted's like ah oh, yeah i remember only the winners can go back and actually set things up <laughs> so um that happens and then the only part of the time travel happens in this movie where bill and ted actually do the time traveling they go into the future to learn how to play their instruments because they still yeah, haven't learned. Yeah, they're like, we don't know how to play yet. <laughs> so they they spend 18 months training, and then they come back to this moment with children and ZZ Top beard and weird facial hair. I don't know if Ted was supposed to be emulating somebody specifically. I have no idea. Yeah. But he's in some weird outfit with, you know, this goatee and mustache, and, yeah, Bill has the ZZ Top beard, and they both have kids strapped to their back. Uh, and everyone rocks out. You got Station, and you got the good robot us as background dancers. Um, inside those suits are people who are in the break-in movies. Uh, and, oh, because well, they were kind of doing yeah. dances. Yeah, they are doing the robot, you know, popping and locking. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah. So they got, you know, professionals inside those suits to do that. And then Death is there playing the bass, and he does, like, little famous uh quote beforehand not famous enough for me to remember verbatim (laughs) but but, uh yeah he's joining the band and shows off his super goofy side and everything and and then it's the kiss song god gave rock and roll to you and then credits we can move on all right so we've gone on for a while let's quickly talk about some of the cast and crew um, I'm going to skip over quite a few of them because several of them are going to have other 1991 appearances. Uh, Peter Hewitt, the director, he has a BAFTA win for Best Short Film, The Candy Show, back in 1989. That allowed him to get this, his first feature film role. He also, uh, directing job, I'm sorry. He also directed The Bar- Borrowers, Garfield, in 2004. 
Home Alone, The Holiday Heist. And also in 1991, he directed the video for Information Society's music video, Think. Chris Matheson has done uh, this and also Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Face the Music, and also the TV series. Same thing goes for Ed Solomon. They've worked on all of those Bill and Ted projects together. He's also done Mr. Wrong and Mom and Dad Save the World with Ed Solomon and a Goofy movie. Ed Solomon did also a couple of additional things without Chris Matheson. He did Super Mario Brothers movie. He did Men in Black. He's done stuff like The Gary Shandling Show, the 2000 movie Charlie's Angels, and Now You See Me 1, 2, and 3. And yes, there is going to be a third one of those. Keanu Reeves, he has been in a few more 1991 movies, so we're not going to talk about him too much. He's going to be in Providence, Point Break, which actually released one week after this movie. Uh, My Own Private Idaho, and then also the Paula Abdul Rush Rush video was this year as well. Prior to this, he had been in such things as Parenthood, River's Edge, Babes in Toyland, and Dangerous Liaisons. Alex Winter was in the 1991 MTV sketch show Idiot Box, which I think lasted just for a few episodes. It was like a... I, I don't think I ever watched it, so I can't really comment on how good it was. Hmm. He also directed the video for Photographiti by the band Extreme in 1991. He's known for writing and directing the movie Freaked, which he also starred in. He got a Fangoria Chainsaw nomination as the writer of that. He's directed Fever. As an actor, he was also in the Bill and Ted's TV show, as well as Lost Boys. He's now He now mostly does directing of documentary-type projects. William Sadler, he's in the 1991's movies Rush, Taggett, and The Last to Go, which is not on our list. He's been on things like Die Hard 2. He was also in Freaked and Shawshank Redemption, Green Mile, Mist. He also has a non-Grim Reaper role in this. He's one of the, he's the dad of the British family mm-hmm. that you see in some of the montages and whatnot. Joss Ackland plays Denomalos. I'm not going to talk about him too much other than he hated the fact that he was in this movie. He regretted taking the role. He's, you know, one of those high and mighty actors. I don't understand why people are like that. Well, okay, when What's you wrong get with being the... in a popcorn movie? Yeah, I don't know. But don't you get a script and read it and you're like, oh, I don't want this. Yeah. Or it's... or is his who's his manager that's like, hey, we got a role for you. Like, I mean, he still got paid and it's, you know, a movie that it's people like a cult enjoy. Movie. <laughs> so like what's what's wrong with that? If it, I, I could understand regretting it if it's a matter of, oh, I turned down being Hannibal Lecter to be Denomalos. Yeah. Right? That's but that's one his thing. choice if he did that. <laughs> so I can understand regretting that choice. But it's not like he didn't work in 1991. Here's the movies he was in. Sheltering, Des- Sheltering Desert. Object of Beauty. Murder of Quality. The Bridge. Princess and the Goblin. Brown Bear's Wedding. And Agatha Christie's Miss Marple, They Do It With Mirrors. That's all 1991. So we'll see him a bunch. Uh, Pam Greer is Miss Wardrobe well-known cult actress uh, from the exploitation era who carried on success from movies like Jackie Brown about the law and also TV shows like The L Word, but she was in things like Big Big Bird Cage, Coffee, Foxy Brown, and things like that. Uh, And then I think the last things I want to mention really quickly are we have two seance members that we haven't talked about yet because, I mean, they're just seance members. I think they had like one line, but they had interesting careers since then. We have Dana Stevens, who's credited as first seance member, she went on to write the movies City of Angels, For Love of the Game, Life or Something Like It, 
and Fatherhood, which is a more recent Kevin Hart Netflix movie. And then we have Carol Rosenthal, who is the fourth seance member. She was in the sketch comedy shows In Living Color for like a year. And then also The Edge. Do you remember The Edge? That was a sketch comedy show on Fox for a very short time. It had Jennifer Aniston, mm, uh, Tom okay. Kenny, Wayne Knight was in that one as well. Uh, so she was part of that group. And now she acts as a casting director exclusively. So that's an interesting way to go about it. Uh, we already talked about the awards that this movie earned. It's really just the Saturn stuff. William Sadler and the special effects nomination. And then uh, in terms of the MTV Movie Awards, shut out. But it was part of the quotes montage. Oh, they didn't get nominated for anything? No. Huh. Yeah, Not I mean, even like Best Villain? Which is weird because... You know, they spent all this effort to talk, you know, to have a premiere party special for yeah. three hours on their network, and then, you know, they don't promote it further beyond that. I mean, there are some music connections. You have Primus making cameo. You have Faith No More's James Martin mm -hmm. at the beginning as part of the historical people. You have Taj Mahal as the gatekeeper of heaven. So you have a couple of people in there, um, but not enough to get the MTV Movie Awards to hop on board, I guess. So on to true crime and pop culture. Uh, I mean, I'm going to skip to TV because I have the TV guide. But July 19th, 1991, that was a Friday. And on ABC, there was the typical TGIF lineup. It was all repeats. But on CBS, there were a bunch of a couple of shows we haven't talked about before the first one is verdict which is that's like a live court documentary style it's just a half hour show of like real court cases so okay. like pre-court tv sure and in the tv guide it was a Dubuque, Iowa trial of Alexander Julian Morgan charged with murdering his adoptive parents. Hmm. They were shot to death in 1986. So I, I want to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> and after that was a special, which I had to look up. It was only, um, it's called Whose Side Are You On? And it only was like a three-week special, and this first, this week was the first week. And it was hosted by, by Mike Wallace, and the, the, in the first of this series, it was like four people on a panel, and each week it was a different person. Like, sometimes they would have, um, like, a former police chief, and then, like, someone like an actor or actress, someone semi-famous, like on a TV show, and then just like random, four random people talking about controversial topics. Okay. So, and then it's like, uh, this week the controversial topic was assisted suicide. And it's the four people on the panel, they argument, they give their argument, kind of like a pro-con thing. Sure. And then the to the viewers, and then like the viewers decide like who whose okay. side are you so on. So it's just a t televised debate club. Yeah. I see. 
And then after that was the 1990 version of The Flash. Yeah. Which we've talked about a little bit because Mark Hamill. Yeah, he's the trickster. And then when I was looking up um, about this TV series, I guess a lot of people, even the guy who played The Flash in this 1990 version, John Wesley Shipp, and then um, he's... He makes appearances in the most recent one that's on, like, the CW now. Okay. Which I've never watched. Yeah, I've never seen. I know it has a good following. But he has played multiple characters and has also even played the Flash, like, in some weird multi-universe thing in that the most recent flash they did multi multiverse before dr strange yes got around to it and that episode was about a man who kills barry barry is the flash yeah barry's brother goes after the flash with a missile that explodes and sends the speedster 10 years into the future where he has no power and the killer is central city's mayor Sounds like a spoiler to me in the description. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> after The Flash is a show called Sweating Bullets. Hmm. And cop show. It's, it's like it's a Canadian show and in Canada it's called Tropical Heat, but in the US it was called Sweating Bullets. Okay. And it's an action series, sort of cop show. It's a, it's a revolves around a private investigator by the name of Nick Slaughter, <laughs> an ex-DEA agent who, after arriving in a fictional resort town of Key Mariah, Florida, and setting up a t- detective agency there, meets up with local tourist agent Sylvie Gerard to solve a variety of different cases. And that lasted eh. three seasons. Wow. I don't remember that name at all. Me neither. But this episode was about a suspicious husband hires Nick and Sylvie to follow his wife, whom they see meeting her lover, who kills her during their observation. Doesn't sound too funny, so I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and then on Fox, you had America's Most Wanted. And after that was Alien Nation. Do you remember that show? I mean, they made like 500 different versions of Alien Nation. Yeah, I knew of it. I never watched any of it. Me neither. It seemed too adult and potentially scary for someone like me. I I wasn't scared. I just was like... I just never watched it. Oh, I remember seeing. I remember seeing like covers, maybe even on TV Guide, like the people. Yeah. yeah. From the alien nation, where it's like you know like they're lizard ha- people. Yeah. And then moving on to music, so the bottom five songs for the Billboard 100. As of July 20th, 1991. Number 100 is the song Move Right Out by Rick Astley. And um, number 90, well, that was five weeks on the chart and it peaked at number 81. 
Number 99 is a new debut song by someone by the name of Yasmin. The song is called Wanna Dance, and I was trying to find out stuff about her, but then I kept on being redirected to another singer by the name of Yasmin, who is like, she's like 33 years old, and I'm like, she couldn't have been this person because she would have been like three years Mm -hmm. old. So I couldn't find anything besides that this is just like a British dance song. Okay. And uh, number 98 is the song Gotta Have You from Stevie Wonder. And this is on the Jungle Fever soundtrack. Mm. This was the debut of that song. Number 97 is the song Love at First Sight by Styx, which I've never heard of this song. And once again, this is just like bands from like the 70s trying to make music in the 90s. Yeah, I like, feel like we had another stick song at one point on the bottom 100. Maybe. I'm just, they're all kind of... Blurring? Blurring, too. Because it's like, all, all these, yeah, all these bands are still trying to uh, make music and stuff and be relevant. Yeah. And this song is just very adult contempo, even though they, you know, they sort of do adult contempo songs before that's just like they're trying to get apart that's kind of like how rick astley like this the songs that are on the album for for this year in 1991 they're all very uh soul driven and adult contemporary instead of poppy and that's what i feel like these rock bands are trying to do too yeah maybe and that was 16 weeks on the chart and that only peaked at number 25 and number 96 is a song called couple days off by huey lewis in the news which uh, i never even heard of this song either but it was like huey lewis trying to work on his acting or something because it would the song will like stop midway and he would do like a bit. Oh. And then it will go back into the song. Oh. That doesn't work very much. Yeah. Like Pat Benatar loves a battlefield, yeah. But he was news probably not. It, it was just like him wanting to take a couple days off. <laughs> and it was, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> it, that was 13 weeks on the chart and it peaked at number 11. Okay. That's pretty high for a mo- for a song that we haven't really heard of much. Right. Mm, that's all I got. Okay. So on to rankings and ratings. Where on your one to five star scale are you going to put Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey? Um, I'm going to give this a three. I'm probably going to go a little bit higher than you. It just if you convert <laughs> the scales on my zero to four star scale, I'm also going to say a three. Okay. So, yeah, I, I think the first one is probably like a three and a half. It's really a lot of fun and enjoyable. This one is still there. It, it misses the mark on a little bit, but it's mostly the, the low production values that kind of drags it down. But in, in general, I think they did a great job of finding a new way to do stuff with the same characters. And so every movie is worth watching once. Would you watch this again? Yeah. 
I would too. I mean, it's only been two years since we saw it the last time. Give another two years, I'd be ready to see it again. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, if you out there want to watch Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, as of this recording in June 2022, it's available on Prime, HBO, Paramount Plus, Epix, Tubi, Pluto TV, Roku Channel, Digital Rental, VHS, DVD. Check your local listings. As for us, you can find us on your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can email us at 1991movierewind at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and YouTube. Just search 1991movierewind or go to 1991movierewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes and more. This month we're going to be doing something like buddy movies. So we start with Bill and Ted. We're going to move on to Company Business next. That's going to be on HBO Max, Digital Rental, VHS, and DVD. We will see you then.